We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer Yusei Koshal. Uh, you said, how are we doing today? Doing well, dude. Great to be doing a podcast for the first time in two months after a Bears win. Yeah, enjoying this uh, little bit of snow that we got in my area today. What about you? Yeah, we didn't get any snow up here, but I mean, it's definitely uh, it's definitely cold enough to where it feels like it should be snowing. That's for sure. Uh, not too windy though, which is pretty nice. But like you said, it's 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 nice to actually have that little bit of positivity from a Bears win and not just sounding like a bo- broken record every single week talking about the Bears loss, Bears losing, and you know, offensive struggles, defensive struggles. So uh, this is really this weekend was really refreshing to watch the Bears actually go out there and play well. And, you know, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, December 16th. And, of course, we're following that that Bears win where they finally snapped their six-game losing streak, uh, beating the Houston Texans 36-7 to on this past Sunday. Uh, I mean, this was by far their best all-around performance as a team all season. The offense, they moved the ball at will in the first half, scoring 30 points in that half. Uh, Trubisky played pretty efficiently. Um, you know, they didn't really ask him to do a lot. It was a lot of – play action, short passes, bootleg type stuff to really, uh, sh- you know, shorten the field for him, give him the fine reads. But, you know, he made some nice throws throughout the game. He got guys in positions where they could get yards after the catch, which was nice. Uh, they ran the ball very well. David Montgomery had a huge 80-yard run, uh, run, I should say, on their first offensive play from scrimmage, which was really awesome to see. Uh, that was a great 
blocking on that play uh, from the interior offensive line. They got to the second level, put David Montgomery in a one-on-one situation with the safety, and David Montgomery on the safety is a is a matchup that I'll take 10 times out of 10 uh, for sure. And then defensively, they bounced back. Uh, they were ab- absolutely dominant in this one. They shut down Deshaun Watson. They got seven sacks in this game as a whole. Uh, just a lot of positives to go around and really the first time in a while that we're able to really say that for this team. Yeah. And you know, you talked about like the offensive domination. I mean, you look at it, the bears were pretty much in control from start to finish. And I think that a lot of people, they look at it and they're like, okay, well, this was against a bad defense. It's like, listen, the bears are playing. And I tweeted about this too, by the way. And I wrote about it on bear report. I'm like, listen, for the third straight year, right? The Bears are playing meaningful meaningful football in December in the sense that they have a chance to make the playoffs. Right now, they're on the outside looking in. Right now, if you could go back and look at it, I would say that there's two key losses that stick out, which would be to the Saints and Rams, because if you win those, you're automatically in the playoffs. And the Vikings lost too, by the way, on Monday night a couple weeks ago right before the bye. But the point is, is that this offensive resurgence, right, that we saw on Sunday, it matters because this is what, like 66 points now, I think the Bears offense has scored over the last two games, right? Um, it, you could be that they're fig- this could go one of two ways, right? They could be figuring out and doing too little too late, or they could be figuring things out just in time for the stretch run for the playoffs. And I think that last year we saw a team that did struggle halfway through the season, ended up making a change at quarterback, The team got its running game figured out. That was the Tennessee Titans, by the way. They went all the way to the AFC conference game. Now, I'm not saying the Bears are going to be playing in the NFC championship game come the third week of January. But what I am saying is that the Bears have a serious chance to play some spoiler over the next couple weeks here. And if this continues over the next two weeks, right, then you're looking at that week 17 game against Green Bay as being one where there are going to be playoff implications because Green Bay's already clinched the NFC North. The Bears can still get in though and really shake the standings up. So every game from here on out counts, but this offensive resurgence that we've seen over the last two weeks, it's big, it counts. And regarding the defense, this was one of the best defensive games that I've seen the Bears play between 2019 and 2020, really over this year and last year. The defense put together one of its best performances that we've seen since 2018. Yeah. Uh, the defense playing like that is definitely refreshing to see. Um, you know, they looked a lot more like the 2018 unit that was just dominant all year long in that playoff run for them. Um, but yeah, like you said, I wouldn't go as far to say that this is a Tennessee t- Titans resurgence. Um, you know, like like you kind of mentioned there, the offense, it's great to see them starting to get things figured out on that side of the ball. And like, you, we shouldn't be downplaying the fact that they've scored 30 points in back-to-back games. That's That's really good stuff regardless the defense that you're playing, but I mean, it has to be mentioned that the, the Texans and Lions, these are two of the probably three worst defenses in football. So we have to keep that in mind. I think this next upcoming game against the Vikings is really going to be the big test for how the rest of this year is playing out, because this is really a must win game. Um, if the bears have serious hopes of wanting to make a push for the playoffs, um, if they don't win this game, I think you can kind of, uh, throw the rest of it away and, and say that this season is over at this point. But if they do win, that sets, that sets them up very nicely. They had the tiebreaker over the Arizona Cardinals, I believe, who are currently the seventh seed. So the Cardinals lose one of their next two or three games. Uh, that sets up the Bears where, you know, if they win out, then they're getting in the playoffs as a seventh seed. So uh, a lot on the line here in this next upcoming game. We'll see how it plays out for them. Um, I, I think – looking back at, like you said, some losses that could come back to bite them. Uh, that last, that loss last week, week against the Lions is 
going to really hurt them, I think, for their playoff chances because they had that game won. It was in their hands, and they let it slip from their grasp uh, late in the fourth quarter. So I think if the Bears do end up missing the playoffs, they're going to look at back at that game and say, you know what, that's where everything went off the rails for us. But, you know, we'll get there when we get there when it comes to looking back at this season. For now, uh, they have to focus on getting this win this next week against the Vikings, and we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, regarding, like, my Tennessee Titans comparison, the reason I compare the Bears to the Titans is the Titans were also, like, 500 last year around this time, and then they eventually ended up, I think, winning out and making a run all the way to the playoffs. And I'm not saying – the Titans – the 2019 Titans on offense were a bit more talented than what the Bears have right now. The big thing, though, was quarterback. But I think that when we look at it, right, Ryan Tannehill's not really, like, a super significant upgrade from Mitch Trubisky. However, Tannehill's, like, a game manager at this point. And I think that for the Bears, right, like, that's what th- – they need Mitch Trubisky to be is just a game manager at this point. I mean, it's not necessarily that they're not lasers, not calling a dink and dunk offense. Like we saw under Foles. what we're seeing is kind of like, Hey Mitch, just get the ball to your playmakers in space. Take what the defense is giving you. And then let Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney and Anthony Miller and guys like Cole Komet, you know, do a great job. And that's, I think that was my second takeaway. This was the game. We saw a lot of the young guys step up. Right. So like David Montgomery, I think had like, 155 total yards from scrimmage. Allen Robinson had 123 receiving yards. Kokomat had hands down his best game of the year. And I think that this was the game that really gave us a true look into, well, this is what Kokomat can be when you continue to feed him the ball. Yeah, I think one of the more underrated storylines for this Bears team over the last three years has been the fact that they have had some nice talent, uh, especially young talent on the offensive side of the ball. It just for whatever reason, when it comes either due to quarterback play, obviously the offensive line uh, breaking down at times and, and some questionable game planning from the coaching staff here and there, uh, we haven't seen them put it all together on that side of the ball because you can see it in games like this. They do have some talent here um, that could be a huge plus for this team and this franchise moving forward into the future, but um, they have to put it all together. And like you said, it comes down to Trubisky. You know, he's looked pretty solid uh, over the past two weeks. Uh, he's definitely played better since getting uh, the starting job back. Um, so if he can continue that against what's going to be a huge task against the Vikings, uh, that'll be a huge sign for where this team is going forward to end this year. And hopefully we'll see what happens. Obviously, I think uh, this team tanking for a top 10 pick, that that can pretty much be thrown out the window. It's all about can this team uh, get things together here near the end of the year and get into the playoffs and, uh, it should be a fun last few weeks of the season to see how that all plays out. But uh, moving on from the Bears, we have a lot to get to today as this is a huge week for college football with conference championships set to play this weekend. So, I mean, there's a lot on the line here for uh, playoff seeding, uh, and that's we'll also begin to that as well. So we have a few thoughts on the college football playoff and uh, what the committee decided to rank these teams as this past week. So uh, just a lot to get to. We also have a couple quick notes Uh, for what's going on across the sport as well. But before we get into all of that, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace going over our first topic for today's episode, and, and that's the college football rankings that just came out for this past week. Uh, right now, looking at what the projected top four is when it comes to the college football playoff, you have Alabama at one, Notre Dame at two, Clemson at three, and Ohio State at four. Texas A&M, they're just on the outside at five, and you also have Iowa State there at six. But, you know, some of the stuff that I wanted to get into for this, uh, you say it is uh, Florida, you know, even after losing to LSU this past week, they only dropped one spot. And that's a lot different when you compare that to the AP poll uh, where Florida dropped all the way to 11. And this is only a precursor to a lot of issues, I think, that are with the college football committee, football playoff committee's rankings in this one. You know, for me personally, I feel like Florida is a bit too high. And Iowa State, I think, feel is too high as a two-loss team to be ranked sixth in this poll. And then you have some other teams like Indiana, not even in the top ten. They're too low, in my opinion. They've played some impressive football this year. Their only loss was to Ohio State, or they gave Ohio State a very competitive game in that one. And I think there's also been clearly a bias against small schools. When you look at Cincinnati only at nine, Coastal Carolina undefeated at 12. I mean, both those teams undefeated. Uh, you would think they would get a little bit more respect. And those teams have been really good all year long. Coastal Carolina, it's not like they've beaten a bunch of bad teams. They just beat BYU a couple of weeks ago, who's another small school team that's been uh, really good this year, led by Zach Wilson. So I don't know. Am I crazy to think that, you know, to have these little nitpicks here and there? Because I think it all matters when it comes to these final matchups of the year in terms of uh, figuring out seating on, on who gets in. No, you're right. You can be nitpicky when looking at these things because, again, this isn't a normal season, right? So you have like a team, for example, you have the AP, right? So the AP top 25, they've got Coastal Carolina ranked at ninth overall, and they're 11 and 0, right? But then you look at like ESPN, they've got Coastal Carolina ranked at 12th overall. I think really when we look at a lot of these teams, right, just the context of what a weird season it's been and what a lot of these smaller schools have been able to accomplish, you realize you're like, okay, there are a couple rankings that you look at and you're like, all right, well, X, Y, and Z team did not play as many games as this other team. I think, you know, I saw a couple games yesterday where I think like the Georgia Vanderbilt game this weekend's being canceled, but obviously Georgia's just going to be ranked higher because it's a much superior um you know, they play in the SEC and SEC teams always, for whatever reason, seem to dominate. But yeah, it's just like the rankings are a bit unfair. I would seriously say that, like, if I could change something up, I would definitely have BYU ranked higher just because I know going into the season, right, that BYU, they were supposed to play like a couple of significant Big Ten teams. I think it was they I believe, you know, going into the year, they had um, Michigan and Michigan State on their original schedule. And then kind of when the Big Ten uh, shutdown happened in the sense that the season's going to be delayed. BYU had to put together a patchwork schedule and they burst onto the scene this year as a school that you really would not think would uh, dominate the rankings. And a lot of that I think is the emergence of Zach Wilson, but yeah, the rankings are certainly, you know, um, there's a lot of questions that I have for this, like why, you know, Florida, like as high as it is, because ESPN's got Florida ranked at like seventh, right? And then obviously Cincinnati's been playing pretty good ball. So like, why does ESPN have them ranked lower than uh, they have Florida ranked? Yeah, Florida one, it makes look, because look, they, their loss to LSU, should it's just a bad loss. It's an unacceptable loss at this point of the year for a team ranked as high as them. Um, you know, you look at Florida and they're a team that, clearly has huge issues on the defensive side of the ball. They can't stop anybody. And, and, you know, 
Cal Trask and that offense has been fun to watch this year for sure. And they've been putting up a lot of points, but if you can't stop anybody, I mean, that kind of hurts you in the long run there. Uh, and the, you know, the thing with me is it, it kind of changes. It, it makes things interesting for the top four in the sense that this affects how the seeding will work for the top four, because a lot of these teams at the top, they're going to be affected by uh, who they have played uh, on the, on their schedules that are ranked, you know, on the rest of the top 25 poll. So if, if you have teams like, you know, let's say Florida that are, are rated uh, much higher than they should be, that makes Alabama's case look a lot better to be the number one seed. Um, you know, when it comes to selection time, if they do win against Florida in their conference championship game, which we'll discuss in a bit. Um, but yeah, it just, it, 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 there's just a lot of moving parts for me. And this gets interesting, especially when it comes to Ohio State even. Uh, like let's say Ohio State they win against Northwestern in their conference championship and it doesn't look as impressive they're not blowing them out like many people maybe think they should you know does the fact that Indiana being ranked lower on the college football playoff committee's lit, uh, rankings does that play into that a little bit say if like Iowa State they're dominant against Oklahoma in their conference championship game that could be held against Ohio State then that they're not playing quality competition because Oklahoma is currently ranked better than indiana right now so i don't know there's just a lot of moving parts to this that could really screw some things up where the best four teams aren't getting into the college football playoff yeah and i think you know that that's what it's going to be all about and i started when we started this segment i originally mentioned i'm like listen it's been such a weird season right and so really when i look at just like games being canceled and whatnot left and right it seems like because it almost seems like every single week when i'm on social media or just looking at the news in general right on like bleacher report or espn it just seems like okay so you know this game is canceled this week this game is canceled and i really think that when we look back at this season and reflect on it in mid-January, right, after the national championship game has been played, it's going to be very clear to me that we'll look at, like, okay, you know what, had this team, had these two schools played, right, like, I think Georgia and Vanderbilt's the example I used earlier, had a couple of these schools played, had, like, Illinois played um, Ohio, I'm sorry, Ohio State played Illinois, right, things would have been much more different than what we're currently seeing, because you could also make the argument that, like, you have OSU, which is ranked third by the AP, um, fourth by ESPN, and they've only played five games, right? But then you have other teams like Texas A&M that are ranked fifth or like, you know, Cincinnati teams that have essentially just played more games than some of the guys in the top four. Yeah, I think one conference has kind of gotten, uh, I wouldn't say screwed by this, but it's certainly affected them since they started so late. And that's the Pac-10 because you look, you look at them and USC, they're obviously they're undefeated right now. But I think they've only played, what, like five games? So if they had more games to play earlier in the year and they stayed undefeated, maybe they're in a situation where they're playing for a spot in the college football playoff. You know, I'm not sure if USC is good enough to be a top four team in the in the uh, in college football in their rankings. Just uh, in general, uh, when I look at them, I, I just don't think they're that type of team right now. Uh, but it certainly plays. That certainly could be in the back of people's minds when it comes to this. If you know, if USC had a full slate of games where they were playing, maybe some out of conference games against some actually good competition outside of their conference, you know, the, the what if there could be uh, definitely intriguing, I think, in that aspect of things. Yeah, I definitely agree. So, you know, like USC right now, I mean, they're ranked, 
Yeah, they're ranked 13th overall, right, in the ESPN and the AP, right? And then you look at that, but then you also, I think, have teams like that I seriously think could be ranked higher, like North Carolina's one that's eight and three that went toe to toe with a top four team, Notre Dame, a couple weeks ago, you know? So, like, when I look at it, yeah, the rankings are kind of like screwed up, in my opinion, um, you know, and I do look at it and say, okay, had certain schools, like you mentioned, USC gotten the opportunity to play earlier because the Pac-12, I think, didn't even start to like the first week of November, if I recall correctly. I mean, had certain schools gotten, you know, more games to play, right, and start earlier in the year, then we definitely would have seen more, um, you know, a shakeup in the rankings. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to bleed into, you know, what we're going to see in this, this upcoming week with the conference championships. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of these games that are coming up here. There are so many games. I think that's, there's, that's going to be very exciting to watch. Before we get to that, though, we're going to take our second break of the show with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, moving on to our next topic for today's episode. And, and that's going to be the conference championships that are going to be happening on this weekend. So, I mean, this is uh, truly the biggest week in college football to date, obviously. Uh, there's a lot on the line here, like we discussed kind of with the college football playoff thing. And when it comes to these matchups here, there's, there's a lot of great football games that I think are going to be played this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So first, uh, on Friday, you have USC and Oregon. They're playing in the Pac-10 championship. I know that the Pac-10 uh, conference, it's been a truncated season for them. I think they've only played like five or six games for each team in this one. But I think it's been pretty well established that these are the two best teams clearly in that conference. And that's going to be fun to watch as USC, they have a, a very potent offense led by a Slovis, the quarterback there, and they have some weapons there to throw to. So uh, they're going to be lighting it up against Oregon that has some talent on defense as well that uh, could be, leading to a lot of players going to the NFL down the line. Uh, then you look at across the rest of college football, uh, Northwestern Ohio State, we kind of mentioned that earlier in the Big Ten Championship. That's going to be uh, really interesting to watch because Ohio State, obviously they didn't play uh, last week against Michigan. You know, are they going to be a little bit rusty in this one where Northwestern, yeah, they had their struggles on offense, but their defense has been lights out this season. So that's going to be an interesting matchup for Justin Fields there. Uh, you have Iowa State going up against Oklahoma in the Big 12. So two high-scoring offenses that uh, should be a, a shootout for sure. Uh, Notre Dame versus Clemson, I think this is the big one. Both of those teams are projected to be in the college football playoffs as of right now. And that game could be very critical in terms of uh, deciding seeding there uh, in terms of who plays who in the college football playoff as well. These, team, these two teams played each other earlier in the year, but obviously Trevor Lawrence wasn't in that game. So – That'll be interesting to watch for sure. And then Alabama versus Florida in the SEC championship. Uh, Alabama, they've been clearly the best. They've been the class of the SEC this year all year long. Uh, Florida, they had that rough loss, though, this past week. So how do they respond going up against Alabama? Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, you say, because, you know, looking at this, these are all high-quality matchups here. I don't think either any of these um, are going to be uncompetitive. Uh, what are your thoughts on each one of these games and what are you kind of excited to look forward to here? So, yeah, obviously I'm excited to see um, all the potential draft prospects that are going to be 
playing in these games, right, for 2021. Because I think when we look at it, right, this is one of the last few times, and it kind of happens every single year, but this is going to be some of the last times that we do get to see these guys in pads until they get to the NFL draft, right? So, like, if I go through right here, I mean, the Northwestern versus uh, Ohio State game for the Big Ten, like, I'm looking at guys like Justin Fields in that, okay? So, Justin Fields, the QB for Ohio State. Chris Olave, I think Sean Wade might have opted out, but I am entirely not sure, but he's probably playing that game. On the other side of the ball, or on the other side, you look at Northwestern, right? They have Rashawn Slater, who, by the way, I think, I do not remember the last time a Northwestern guy was selected in, like, the first or second round. Uh, so, Rashawn Slater is going to be interesting to watch in that game. Linebacker Patty Fisher for Northwestern, I think, is an interesting uh, day three option. And then you look at, like, you know, Oklahoma. I think that just with Oklahoma and then um, Oklahoma and Iowa State here, right? Like, that's just a fun matchup that, you know, I'm going to be looking forward to watching. I, I'm picking Oklahoma to uh, win outright just because Lincoln Riley seems to win every single year that I started watching. Lincoln Riley seems to win every single year. Notre Dame versus Clemson is obviously the big one because Notre Dame's got the linebacker, Jeremiah Owosu-Karoma, right, who has had a big rise this year. And then obviously he's going to be going against like Trevor Lawrence and then – um you know, Travis Etienne's in that game too. So a lot of firepower here that I think could really help the Bears out. And then regarding Alabama and Florida, right? I really think that this is the one game where like the biggest player for me to watch in this game is going to be Kyle Trask, right? Because he had three turnovers in the game against LSU and we hear the Kyle Trask hype. And it's very clear to me, people are split on what Kyle Trask can be as a quarterback because you have some people saying, well, he is a first round pick, right? The rise has been kind of like Joe Burrow in the sense that at the start of the season, no one really knew who he was, at least in the, you know, draft community, the diehard draft community is a totally separate thing, but not many people knew who Trask was. He vaults onto the scene, you know, and, but he struggled last week against LSU. How does he respond against a big opponent like Alabama? Because I think that this is the game that for Jones and for Mac Jones, the Alabama QB and Kyle Trask, these are, these are some of the games that are really going to determine their um, draft stock. And Mac Jones is another quarterback that a lot of people say could be a mid to late first round pick or an early second round pick. And then USC versus Oregon, like you mentioned it, you know, uh, I know for Oregon, Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle is not playing. Uh, Javon Holland, the safety is not playing. But it's still a game that has a lot of, uh, you know, intriguing draft prospects to watch for. And then for 2022, like Kedvin Slovis, the um, USC QB, he's another one that a lot of people right now seemingly seem to have ranked as one of the top three quarterbacks for 2022. So how does Slovis play as well in this game is what I'm watching for. Yeah, Slovis and Desmond Ritter for Oklahoma. They're both going to be playing out there, and both those guys are projected to be drafted high in 2022, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, with Desmond Ritter, he's going up against a guy in Brock Purdy for Iowa State. Uh, Brock Purdy's going to be drafted probably in this upcoming draft class. I don't think he'll be drafted high. Uh, he looks like he's definitely a day three prospect uh, for me, at least. But uh, he's going to be getting drafted, I think, in this upcoming uh, in, in this upcoming draft. So getting those two guys matching up there, uh, that's going to be a fun one to kind of see how those offenses go up against each other. Um, but like you said, with Alabama versus Florida, this could be very, uh, this could lead to who ultimately gets uh, pegged as quarterback number five in this upcoming draft, because obviously Mac Jones, I, I think, 
when you when you look at both him and Kyle Trask, I think they're both on similar trajectories in terms of uh, day two type talents that could sneak their way into the first round if things go well for them late in the season and in the pre-draft process. Process and Kyle Trask, he certainly took a step back. I, I think last week he just all of my concerns about him started to uh, bubble up in that game. The turnovers, like you mentioned, were uh, pretty bad uh, in that one. I know he threw for a lot of yards, 474 yards in that game and two touchdowns, but there's so much talent on that Florida offense that it'd be kind of hard not to uh, succeed in that environment. So it's kind of hard to separate these two players from the fact that they both are surrounded by so much talent that it's just hard to separate. Okay. Are they good because they're good quarterbacks? Are they putting up these numbers because they're good quarterbacks or are they putting up these numbers because of the system they play in and the talent around them? And, you know, when you look at Mac Jones, he's obviously going to be helped by Devonte Smith, who I don't know when the last time a wide receiver won the Heisman trophy, but if, if there's any wide receiver over the past few years that deserves it, uh, there, there isn't one over the last few years that deserves it more than Devonte Smith for what he's done this season. He's been, he's been phenomenal. And Devonte Smith's a, a very interesting case as a prospect because you would look at him on paper and he doesn't seem like somebody that you'd be drafting uh, very high. You know, he's got a very skinny frame. I, I think he's only like 6'1", 175 pounds. So he's very undersized for a lot of people. And he doesn't really run particularly fast in a 40-yard dash. I think his uh, last recorded 40-yard dash was around 4'5", four, 4'5", five, four, five, So on paper, you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, that's not really impressive. But all he, all he does when he's out there on the football field is he just goes out there and he makes plays. He makes plays after the catch. He's a terrific rut runner. He makes contested catches. Uh, and then he even made a play this last week in our, against Arkansas where he was uh, he got a punt return touchdown, I, I believe. So uh, he's just a full package at wide receiver. So I'm really excited to see how he does. He's going to have a great mass matchup going up against Florida's secondary, which isn't very good. This, in, you know, this defense in general for Florida isn't very good, kind of the opposite of what they've been over the past decade or so as a program. Um, and, and on Florida's side as well, I think uh, obviously Kyle Pitts gets the most attention at, at tight end, but Kadarius Toney, um, he's been a really fun player uh, to watch on my radar. It's kind of like a day two wide receiver prospect. He's not the greatest uh, route runner in the world, or he's not a contested catch guy necessarily. Uh, but if you're a, an offense, say like the San Francisco 49ers, who don't really need their wide receivers to be great separators and one-on-one -on -one players in their scheme because they're able to scheme these guys open anyway. Um, he is very good after the catch. He's probably, he's probably got the best uh, skill set in terms of making guys miss after the catch and getting yards um, when you give him the ball short. And so that's, that's going to be fun to see how he does against an Alabama secondary that does have some NFL talents on it and to see if he can match up well against that defense. Yeah, and, you know, going back to the point you made regarding the quarterbacks, right, like, you know, Alabama versus Florida. Okay, so the re we know that all year long that these are two teams that they have playmakers, right, like Tony and um, Kyle Pitts for Florida, and then obviously Devontae Smith, and then um, Devontae Smith for Alabama, right? But really, like, when I look at this game, the reason Mac Jones and Kyle Trask matter to me the most is because – if the Bears essentially went out, right, we have to be prepared for, well, would whoever's in the GM chair next year, is it Ryan Pace or whoever else is it, right? Would these guys want to go ahead and then to pull the trigger on a guy like Kyle Trask or 
um, Mac Jones and Trask a bit, and I'm not comparing him directly to Jake Fromm. But what I'm saying is this is that last year at this time, there were a lot of people, right, who were like, okay, could the Bears take a chance on a guy like Jake Fromm? And then could he potentially develop into something, right? And I think Kyle Trask is in that same boat this year because like earlier for another website I write for earlier in the year, I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe the Bears need to keep an eye on Trask, but it's become very apparent to me that he's just not the answer because, all right, yeah, he's got a nice touch, all right? You know, is able to get the ball out quick, but then there's so many other deficiencies that show up in his game that you realize and you're like, okay, with here in Chicago, he would not be a uh, perfect fit. And then regarding Mac Jones too, right? Like Mac Jones, you know, one of my friends, he's a radio manager at the University of Alabama, right? Works for like the sports station there. He straight up told me Mac Jones does not have the necessary arm strength when you watch him up close, not on TV, to be able to, uh, you know, play QB in Chicago. So these are two really interesting quarterbacks that if the Bears like – drafted them I wouldn't necessarily be like entirely angry and be like okay what did you do here you probably messed up on QP again um you know but then I would be like maybe these are some developmental options like we discussed last week you develop these guys and then you go and you flip them for draft picks right um but yeah overall like the Alabama versus Florida game I think that those two QBs are the big ones to just keep an eye on this weekend because what they end up doing could determine essentially what the um you know, how the Bears 2020 draft plays out. Yeah, I think either of them, it's a tough sell for me in the first round. I, I think, like you said with Trask, both of them really, when you say the necessary arm strength, arm strength is very important in, in a city like Chicago where it's cold late in the year like it is right now. It's windy at Soldier Field a lot. Uh, we know that's been a problem for kickers in the past, especially since Robbie Gold uh, was cut from the team. But it, it it's a, makes a huge difference for uh, quarterbacks as well. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, if you want to go back to the 2017 NFL draft, it could be a reason why the Bears decided to go with a guy like Mitch Trubisky because Mitch Trubisky does have a very strong arm uh, to where his ball, and because of it, he throws a really tight spiral for the most part on, on underneath routes and in the intermediate parts of the field, uh, he can kind of cut through the wind a little bit to where uh, he can get the guys, he can get guys the ball with high velocity, get those guys on the run, get them in opportunities where they can get yards after the catch. We haven't seen that consistently, but uh, he has the capability to do that. And maybe that was a reason why he would go over, why he would be selected over a guy like Deshaun Watson, who coming out of college didn't have the strongest arm. You know, I think he, uh, I think at the common, they measure his uh, velocity at like 45 miles per hour, which is well below league average, I think, for exit velocity for throwing the football. Um, so that could be a big reason why the bears went that direction. Well, it kind of plays into that with Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. Neither of them really throw the ball with a lot of velocity on their underneath and intermediate throws. So we, we've kind of seen that this year with Nick Foles, he just doesn't, Nick Foles did not have the necessary arm strength to get the ball to playmakers where they could actually get yards after the catch. He knows a lot of lollipop balls, so to speak um, over the middle of the field into the sidelines where it's easy for defenders to make a play on that. So when you're making the decision, whoever the next GM is, whether it's Ryan Pace or somebody else that comes in, um, if you're making that decision on who you're picking in the first round, do you want to take a chance on somebody that could struggle in that aspect of the game where he's not able to make those high velocity throws, not able to get the guys uh, on your team, the ball underneath in, in a fashion where they can get yards after the catch you have to think about all of that when you're evaluating these guys and games like this are going to be very important for that. Uh, when you can kind of see these guys both on the same field at the same time. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, so like if I had to go through and I mean, for this Florida versus Alabama game, I think if I had to pick a winner, right, I would definitely go ahead and say Alabama's going to win just because it's like you mentioned earlier, Florida really can't stop anyone on the defensive side of the ball, right? And then Devontae Smith for Alabama is absolutely playing out of his mind this year, which I've seen a lot of people compare him to Marvin Harrison. I think if I remember correctly, like Marvin Harrison was not the biggest guy either. I think he was under like 190 pounds as well, right? So yeah, I'm going to be watching. This is another game, right? Where it's just going to, I think, strengthen Devontae Smith's uh, case. If he is potentially like, you know, if like the Heisman does come down to him, I think this is the game where Devontae Smith really like makes the case. I, I love the uh, Marvin Harrison uh, comparison for Devontae Smith. Very similar. Like neither of them were big, big guys. Neither of them were exceptional athletes, but both just get the job done. And, and that's what you're looking for. Consistency at the wide receiver position. Um, I agree. I think Alabama is going to win that game pretty handily. I, I don't think Florida can keep up with them uh, offensively. I think their defense is just not good enough to stop this loaded Alabama offense. Uh, the other main game I think we should predict as well is Notre Dame versus, versus Clemson. Uh, that really is the big one in terms of determining college football playoff rankings. So who you got winning that game? Honestly, this time around, because you have Trevor Lawrence who's back, right? It's very hard to pick against Clemson. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Trevor Lawrence being back makes the difference. They have a healthy offense. Uh, Notre Dame is going to be really interesting. I'm, Excited to watch how Liam Eichenberg plays. Uh, according to PFF, he hasn't given up a sack all season long at left tackle. So for a Bear, if you're a Bears fan looking for a left tackle or right tackle prospect in the first two rounds of the draft, keep an eye on Liam Eichenberg. But in terms of like the actual game itself for this for this week, I yeah, I think Clemson, I think they're the better team overall. I think Notre Dame, they've had a great year. But I, I think Clemson is just going to be too much for them with Trevor Lawrence uh, back in the fold at quarterback. So we've talked a lot here about the college football playoff and uh, conference championship slate that's coming up here. Uh, a lot of great college football to watch this upcoming weekend. It's going to be really fun to see how these games play out and, and which guys show up in this one, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, we have a couple more things to talk about before concluding this podcast, but before we get to that, we're going to take our final break of the show with one last word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Picks for Pace. Uh, to conclude this episode, we've again we've talked a lot about the college football, what's going on in you know the conference championships and the college football playoff. But there was some other news that occurred over the week here, especially it's going to be near and dear to Bears fans, uh, especially those that root for the Fighting Illini there in, in the University of Illinois, and that is Lovey, Lovey Smith being fired at the University of Illinois after. I believe four years as the head coach there, um, you know, just, I, I kind of saw this coming, you know, I thought, you know, watching this Illinois, Illinois team last season, I thought they were on the up and up as a program. And obviously they can't control what went on with uh, COVID and um, that kind of setting back this season really for everybody. And we saw a lot of, a lot of programs uh, struggle with this throughout the year, but uh, they did not have a good year whatsoever compared to what I think their expectations were. Uh, and I, I kind of saw this coming because, you know, I never, I've never seen Lovey to be a college coach. I've always felt like he was better, a better fit at the professional level. Uh, when it comes to being a college head coach, there, there's so much more that goes into it besides just what's, you know, 
going out on the football field with the X's and O's and, and game planning and uh, leadership aspects of it. You gotta be, you have to be, you know, good with uh, recruiting. You have to be good with boosters. You have to be good with alumni, um, all that type of stuff. And there's just a lot more on the plate for college football coaches that I, I don't think he was prepared for as much. Um, I think he's gotten this program to a better place, but I, I think it's time uh, for, I think it was the right time to make this move. Yeah. You mentioned it, right? Because I, for one, remember four years ago, I think it was four or five years ago and that I heard Lovey Smith after he got fired at Tampa, I was excited, right? Just because I have a couple of people in my family that didn't fact go to university of Illinois. And I was like, maybe we finally have someone that can come in here and stabilize the program. Right. But the thing is, it's just like, you look at Lovey's records, right. And you realize, okay. Um, you know, the most games he won last have been six games, right? Uh, which is the most that he's ever won. Other than that, he's never won more. You know, the other wins, the other seasons in terms of wins have consisted of, I think, like two, three, and four wins, right? So you look at it and you realize, like, okay, Illinois is definitely not the, you know, biggest name school, especially in the Midwest when it comes to college football. I mean, listen, that those types of distinctions end up going to, like, you know, Wisconsin or, like, Ohio State, for example. But the thing is, I think, like, Lovey at least tried to do what he could given like limited resources. Right. I think that in terms of recruiting, you know, when I checked last on like the two, four, seven database, there were a couple of times where he was able to get like three, four star recruits. I don't think he ever got a five star. So I think like part of the reason that he also got fired is because he was never really able to um, make Illinois like the correct place to, uh, or like the most appealing school throughout the entire process for a lot of, you know, recruits that were potentially getting offers on the table. And I just look at the history of like Illinois when it comes to head coach. I mean, I think the last guy who lasted more than like four years there, right. Was um, Ron Zook, who was with Illinois from like 2005 until 2011, right. Before he got fired. So Illinois just gone through like this consistent cycle of head coaches. And I really think they're going to get back to being relevant ever. Cause the last time they played in a bowl game, I think was like two decades ago at this point, they need to, um, you know, they really have to like reinvest in the entire football program or I'm sorry, they played in a bowl game in 2019. Right. But other than that, they've had like four bowl appearances in like, the last 20 years. Yeah. You, you usually don't think about Illinois and football in the same sentence as something, some things that go together. Um, and they're really, when you look at it, they're in direct competition. Really. When you look at the teams that are in state for them with Northwestern um, in terms of getting talent um, in Illinois and in the surrounding States. And they just haven't been able to match up in terms of that aspect. Northwestern, obviously run by Pat Fitzgerald. They're a great program. And Pat Fitzgerald, he has, a, he has a luxury of being able to build that program from the ground up for much longer than Lovey Smith had. But, I mean, when you look at what Lovey Smith uh, was unable to do, I, I should say, when it comes to the Illinois football program, uh, he did not recruit Illinois, the state, very well. I think his last recruiting class had zero uh, Illinois commits and – I'm not saying like Illinois is a, um, you know, a pipeline of, you know, high end college football talent or anything, but you would want to at least establish a connection there between your state, your home state and uh, your college football program. And he just never really established that. I think, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Lovey Smith going forward. I, I think he should have a job at the NFL level as a defensive coach or a coordinator or, position coach or something along the lines uh 
but it's been tough. His last couple of head, co- head coaching spots have been a little bit rough. Uh, from a football X's and O's standpoint, I think you can make the case that the game is starting to pass him by a little bit. I, I saw Alex Brown, I think, uh, said this this past weekend where he said, like, if uh, Matt Nagy gets fired, that the first call the Bears should make should be the Lovey Smith. And I immediately rolled my eyes because that's literally the worst thing they could do at this point. I just didn't get that one at all. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, right, is it's like you look at a lot of the, you know, between like you look at the last like four to five head coaches of the Bears, right? And it's been Lovey Smith and Mark Trustman, John Fox, and now Matt Nagy. And it's very clear that just after Lovey got fired on, I think it was Friday or Saturday, right? Um, early one of those days is when the news broke. It was very clear that for a lot of fans, right? Like they, Lovey Smith will always be known. Like Lovey Smith is essentially a fan favorite is what he was in Chicago. I think that, you know, there's no point in bringing him back for a head coach because the league just continues to go in a completely different direction than when it was, you know, when Lovey was coaching with the Bears. And I think that for Alex Brown, obviously Alex Brown's going to say something like that because I tweeted about this too, right? I was like, look, when it comes to Alex Brown, this is a guy who's sticking up for his coach. Because the one thing that I think, you know, was very clear during Lovey Smith's, you know, time here in Chicago was that the players wanted to play for him. They always went out and they wanted to play for something, right? Because there was a sense of like, well, we're the Chicago Bears. This is bigger than just football. This is like the brand and everything and for the city and for the fans. So I understand where Alex Brown is coming from. I just think that, you know, in terms of the way that the game continues to change, it's clearly becoming more offensive minded that the bears are going to have to go in a completely different direction. Now could lovey be back in the NFL next year coaching as like a defensive coordinator or something. Yeah. That's always a possibility. Right. But I also think that his role, wherever it goes would also to be like some, whatever he does, right. Wherever he goes, his role should be something like a consultant because we do see a lot of these older head coaches or these older, you know, ex head coaches, I should say, say what happens is they do not want to get back into coaching on the sidelines because it is a very stressful and grueling lifestyle. So what do they do? They latch on to some team, right. As like a uh, consultant. And then they are in the team meetings or the positional group meetings, just kind of helping run things on the side. So essentially like an assistant is what it is. Yeah. I could see that working out as well for Lovey Smith. I, I think that would probably be the, the most realistic option. I think just the way the game is progressing his. his time as being a head coaching candidate a legitimate head coaching candidate is probably over at this point but I, I'd love to see him get another shot in the NFL with another team as an assistant somewhere and see what he can do there like you said he's got a deep connection with the the city of Chicago with the Bears franchise in general the McCaskey family loves Lovey Smith so um, you know maybe he can come back for a consulting role with the Bears maybe I, I don't know I, I don't know if that would be something that would be in the cards uh, I did post something just last thing here before we end up wrapping this thing up, but I did post this on Twitter. Just, you know, this is, these are all baseline comparisons here. So I'm not like trying to, you know, say like, because I'm throwing this out there that my argument is automatically won or anything, but I did throw out there that Matt Nagy's win percentage and Lovey Smith's win percentage. When you compare them, uh, Matt Nagy's got a better win percentage uh, as a bears head coach and Lovey Smith. And, if Matt Nagy's the Bears this year missed the playoffs, that would be the same ratio of years where they've um, made the playoffs, 33% um, under their tenures. Because Lovey, he made the playoffs three times in nine years with the Bears. Matt Nagy, if they were to make the, miss the playoffs this year, uh, would be 
making the playoffs once in three years as a Bears head coach. So very similar resumes just on face value, obviously. It's all face value, really. But again, we'll see what Lovey, what the next uh, thing is in store for Lovey Smith. We'll see where he goes from here. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that going forward. But I, I think this is a good time to conclude this episode uh, of the Picks for Pace podcast. A lot of stuff that we covered today. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff with the college football playoff, and we'll see how that plays out this weekend. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. You say, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow my work on the Bear Report and then follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Yeah, and you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work at the Bear Report. Also, check out my stuff on the Bear Report YouTube channel. I've, I have a couple of film breakdowns on there as well. Looking forward to a lot of stuff in the off season to get to. It's going to be a busy off season in terms of getting some video uh, content out there. So make sure you're keeping uh, an eye on for that. Uh, for the short, ter- short term, uh, with the holiday season quickly approaching, uh, make sure to stay safe, everyone. I, I know a lot of people are going to be traveling or not traveling necessarily, but seeing some family and friends over the holiday season. So uh, getting their Christmas shopping done. I know I got to get that done soon. So hopefully you can get that done within the next week but we'll, we'll see how that goes uh, but stay safe everyone and we'll look forward to our next episode next week we're hopefully uh we're recording after another bears win bear down everyone sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering sunday june 6th only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.